The most important global climate summit since Paris kicks off today in Scotland and President Biden going in with a weaker hand, at least than he had hoped. The trial of Kyle Rittenhouse gets underway in Kenosha. And why are so many Americans driving like absolute lunatics? The data on traffic deaths is in and it is scary. Monday Need to Know. Let's go. Good morning, gang. This is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for November 1st. As you can hear, I'm Carlo Versano, and I'm flying solo today. Uh, but I hope everybody had a wonderful Halloween weekend. Thank you all to, for everyone who sent in their adorable child pics. We ended up going with a little uh, cat outfit um, for little Franny, and she looked very cute, if anybody was wondering. But anyway, it is November 1st, two months to go in this uh, pretty weird year. But let's get to the news this morning, and there's a lot of it. World leaders at the G20 over the weekend agreed to stop funding new coal operations overseas. That was sort of the headline. They could not, however, come to an agreement on phasing out fo that fossil fuel for good. That does not bode particularly well for talks today at the COP26 UN Climate Summit, which kicks off this morning in Glasgow. President Biden going into that summer with really a much weaker hand than he had hoped for as his climate legislation remains stalled as it continues to be negotiated in Congress. Still, Biden has a big job. He has to basically use this conference as a way to sell the world on this idea that the United States is serious now about climate change and doing things to mitigate uh, the impact of rising global temperatures. This is the most important global climate summit since Paris in 2015. And if you're looking for sort of, you know, deliverables out of this thing, which goes on for two weeks, an agreement to significantly cut the use of coal in countries like Russia, Australia, China, and India, that's probably one of the bigger of the several thorny issues that climate negotiators face in Glasgow. You know, coal is one of those things that if you look at the numbers, the developed world has made notable gains. Places like the United States, we are using far less coal than we were even in the 90s. The problem is those gains have been now significantly offset by developing countries like India, which burns more coal just in that country than the United States and Europe combined, which of course just shows how difficult all of this is, right? Even if everything Joe Biden wanted in this bill would get passed, it still isn't enough. There's nothing you can do with you know, American legislation to stop a country like India from burning coal. But just speaking of coal, that's arguably the biggest obstacle when it comes to limiting the global rise in temperatures. You know, we could all drive Teslas, but that wouldn't do anything uh, to stop the, uh, you know, the mining of coal and the burning of coal in countries like India, as we just talked about. Uh, to get to just 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming, which is kind of the, you know, that's the mark that we're aiming for, which is unlikely, but still within the realm of possibility to hit. To get there, coal emissions would have to fall by four-fifths around the world in the next decade. And, uh, you know, countries that depend on coal for their electricity are going to need a lot of help from countries like us, rich countries, to get anywhere close to that. Uh, so I suppose, at least what I'm looking for, the best case scenario out of Glasgow would probably be a global commitment to reaching net zero emissions by 2050. But that is a stretch. And of course, even if you had a commitment, that doesn't necessarily mean that it would happen. 
Switching gears, the Supreme Court is going to begin a series of showdowns over reproductive rights, the most important few months in this court when it comes to abortion in decades. Justices hearing oral arguments this morning in two cases related to Texas's recent strict abortion law, that law all but eliminating access to abortion in the country's second biggest state. The Texas Review comes before the court, is expected to hear another abortion case in Mississippi that starts a month from today. Um, that's the decision that could end up overturning Roe v. Wade. But first, justices have to decide what to do about this Texas law, which was specifically designed to avoid ju judicial review, you'll remember. The justices basically have to decide whether abortion providers in Texas and the DOJ have the legal right to challenge this law in court and, the, and to then seek orders banning state court clerks and judges from doing anything in response to the lawsuit. So it's a little nitty gritty, but those oral arguments, if you want to watch them, they will be streamed live, or at least you can listen to them streamed live starting at 10 a.m. Eastern this morning. Meantime, jury selection in another closely watched racially charged trial in America begins today. This time it's happening in Kenosha, Wisconsin. That's where Kyle Rittenhouse is going on trial for murder. He's charged with fatally shooting two men at a protest that followed the Jacob Blake shooting last summer. Rittenhouse's defense is arguing that he was acting in self-defense. Prosecutors are trying to describe him as a vigilante who crossed state lines with an assault weapon looking for trouble. And trouble is, of course, what he found. But this is a fascinating case that is really kind of a mirror of the two Americas that we've been talking about, right? Everyone seems to kind of see what they want to see in this case. Uh, and there was a story going around last week about how the judge in this in the Rittenhouse trial wouldn't allow the prosecution to refer to the victims as victims. Now, that got a lot of attention kind of on the left. It's not particularly newsworthy in and of itself. Judges often try to clear their courtrooms of loaded words in an effort not to prejudice the jury. But what was notable, to me at least, was that the judge did say that the uh, the victims in this case could be referred to as looters and arsonists, which are obviously loaded words themselves, even more loaded, I would argue, than calling them victims. Uh, and it's a little bit of a du double standard because, to my knowledge at least, there is still no evidence to support that uh, these two people who were killed by Rittenhouse had committed any crimes while at that, uh, at that protest. Now, re remember, Rittenhouse did cross state lines armed with an AR-15. He was some sort of vigilante. He tr was trying to basically act as a you know self-appointed police officer. Uh, but the entire case rests on whether he can claim self-defense. He has become something of a hero on the right, uh, a villain on the left. Um, so this, again, will be a very important case to sort of see where the jury stands. And we are expecting probably some uh, significant protests over the course of the next two or three weeks as this trial commences. Up in the skies, American Airlines, the latest carrier to experience a weekend operational meltdown. If you were out in the uh, airports this weekend, I feel for you. American had to cancel 1,700 flights between Friday and Sunday. They blamed a combination of bad weather at their Dallas-Fort Worth hub, along with prolonged staffing shortages, particularly among flight attendants. The cancellation started two days after an American flight attendant was hospitalized with broken bones in her face after a first-class passenger punched her in the face when she apparently bumped into him on that flight. Uh, CEO Doug Parker calling that incident, quote, one of the worst displays of unruly behavior that airline has ever seen. But, you know, we wonder why no one wants to work at these airlines, why they have such these, these, these staffing shortages going on for so long. 
why would you want to work there if this is the sort of abuse that you're subject to all day long? And frankly, that goes for more than just flight attendants. It goes for people across the service industry who have just been dealing with absolutely feral behavior by Americans uh, since the pandemic started. And we're going to talk about that a little more in a minute. But you know, the, what, what's happening with the airlines right now, they're all working on these razor-thin staffing margins because they just didn't anticipate this rebound in travel that, that's been happening over the last few months. But what that means is all it takes is one day of bad weather at a big hub, and then you get this cascading effect because there are all these federal rules about hours worked and all of the rest that needs to happen between flights for crews. So it's like this domino effect, right? But all of this points to bad news, I think, for the holiday travel season. And I think if you don't have to travel for the holidays this year, if you don't have to fly at least, you should consider not because I think it's really going to be a nightmare out there. Um, and, you know, something else that we've discussed on the pod that Jill and I have discussed that I've been tweeting about a lot lately, it's just how uh, people – this is sort of related, uh, uh, but stick with me here. But people seem to be driving more recklessly than usual lately. I think pretty much everybody has noticed it. It's not just happening in some places. It's happening around the country. And now there is some really concerning data uh, to back this up. U.S. traffic deaths are now at a 15-year high. This is according to new data out of NHTSA. The number of people who died in traffic-related accidents rose 18 percent in the first half of this year to more than 20,000. We're going to cross more than 40,000 people dying in car accidents this year. Uh, behavioral research has linked a rise in reckless driving to the pandemic, though there's not one really easy answer for why there have been more accidents on the road. There are growing calls for a national strategy to address the rise in traffic deaths. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg the other day calling this a public health crisis. Um, but I, I, I go back to what we were just talking about with American Airlines, right, the, in the unruly passenger epidemic. It's, it, it's hand in glove with the traffic deaths. You know, there has been this huge spike in antisocial behavior that was brought on by COVID. Social scientists are going to have a field day figuring out why this was, and surely they already are. Um, but it's, you know, to me, it's the same thing, right? It's the same part of your brain that tells you that it's socially acceptable to knock out a flight attendant. That's the same part of your brain that tells you that it's okay that to fly through red lights in a uh, pedestrian-heavy neighborhood or drive your car around at night without a muffler waking everybody up um, or break into the Capitol or – gun somebody down on the street for looking at you the wrong way or walk into a Walgreens and load up your duffel bag with anything you want and just walk out. I'm not saying that those are the same. I'm not saying the Capitol rioters are the same as the, you know, someone who shoplifts, who's not the same as somebody who drives recklessly, who's not the same as somebody who kills somebody. But they it all comes from the same place, which if you ask me, which is this kind of sort of slow moving societal breakdown that we're seeing. And I'm fascinated by this. Um, I'm, I'm really looking to see some more data and some more, you know, research into why this is happening because it's clearly been happening and we're seeing it everywhere. Um, you know, COVID was this huge test of whether, you know, the ties that bind us together are still strong. Uh, obviously we, we failed that test. We failed it miserably in the United States. We weren't alone. A lot of countries, especially a lot of Western countries, failed that test. Uh, but the pandemic, I think, revealed that there are a lot of people out there who just kind of don't believe that the rules of a functioning society apply to them. And we're seeing that uh, manufacture itself in all of these different ways, traffic deaths being just one of them. 
Okay, we'll do a little more to know before I go here. A 24-year-old man dressed in a Joker costume attacking passengers on a busy Tokyo train line last night, stabbing 17 people and then starting a fire before he was arrested. This attack happened as the trains in Tokyo were packed with Halloween revelers heading into the city. Video from the scene shows people running from a train cart just before a blaze is ignited. According to local media reports, the suspect telling police he, quote, wanted to kill people so that he could be sentenced to death. And once again, I will just note, thank God he didn't have a gun because it's virtually impossible to get a gun in Japan. The FDA, uh, excuse me, the FDA telling Moderna over the weekend that it needs more time to review that COVID vaccine for kids aged 12 to 17. Moderna says regulators are looking specifically at the risk of myocarditis in kids, and the vaccine's emergency approval could be delayed now until January. Moderna will not submit its vaccine for kids in the younger age group, the 6 to 11 age group, until the FDA completes the current review for those older adolescent children. The system that delivered all that heavy rain and wind to the northeast over the past few days and canceled some Halloween plans, well, it's now pushed out to sea and it has turned into subtropical storm Wanda. Now, Wanda is not really expected to have an impact on land again, but with its formation, the Atlantic hurricane season is now out of names for the second year in a row. And just the third time in history, the Atlantic hurricane season still has a month to go. And if you remember last year, they tried to do something with uh, by having Greek names for the when, once they ran out of names and nobody really understood. It was confusing. So now they have a, a meteorologist have a supplemental list of names that they will start going through if assuming there's another named storm in the next few weeks. In sports, the Astros kept themselves alive in the World Series, rallying from behind to beat the Braves 9-5 to in front of a standing-room-only raucous crowd in Atlanta last night. The Braves came out swinging with a grand slam from Adam Duvall in the first inning, but the, Ast- the Astros then outscored them 9-1 to after that. The series now goes back to Houston for Game 6 starting tomorrow. An exhausted-looking Alec Baldwin speaking on camera over the weekend for the first time since that fatal onset shooting that killed Helena Hutchins. Uh, with his wife, Hilaria, at his side, Baldwin tell, uh, told paparazzi who were following him in Vermont, which is apparently where he's been staying since this incident, that the incident was a, quote, one-in-a-trillion event. Uh, Baldwin said he was told by police not to comment further due to that pending investigation. There have been a, a number of uh, really good TikToks, if you will, sort of timelines about what happened on that set in newspapers like the LA Times and the New York Times over the weekend that really just showed that this clearly what happened there was just a confluence of terrible things. Um, And like Baldwin said, this really does appear to be one of those one in a trillion events. And finally, celeb news here. Pete Davidson photographed holding hands with Kim Kardashian over the weekend while riding a roller coaster at a Halloween amusement park. People magazine say they are just friends, but the pictures were enough to spark new dating rumors online coming after Kardashian hosted SNL a few weeks ago, which of course is where Pete Davidson is employed. So I'll just say Pete Davidson, man, scientists got to study this guy because he is putting up numbers. But anyway, that is what you need to know on this solo pod for Monday, November 1st. See you back here with Jill tomorrow.